Welcome to episode three of the Teaching While Learning podcast. Now that you've made your way here, I hope you're ready to dive deeper into the ESL industry and get a glance of what it has to offer. The TWL podcast is dedicated to placing you in the shoes of current and former ESL teachers by bringing you their stories, experiences, and opinions. I'm your host, Tim Hillebrand. On today's episode, we have a free-spirited and adventurous young woman who, from a very young age, decided that teaching was her dream. After growing up around various cultures and getting her bachelor's degree in early childhood education, she knew that it was time to explore the world while teaching ESL. Let's jump into my chat with Alex Chrysosphoridis. How are you doing today? Hi, Tim. I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. We've been, uh, we've been trying to do this for, geez, at least two or three weeks now. We just keep getting busy, so it's good to have you finally on. Why don't you start by talking about your decision to teach ESL and what got you interested in it? Sure. Well, I've always actually been interested in teaching since I was a little girl playing with my dolls and, uh, you know, like most little girls, playing house, playing classrooms. And I just uh, wanted to be a teacher and I, I continued to aspire to that dream. And following that dream, I, I always wanted to go overseas, go abroad. I always had a sense of adventure, or as my mother called it, uh, a free spirit, to say the least. So um, I wasn't really familiar with the whole ESL, what it was, until I graduated university. So I majored in education, and I, I got my bachelor's in childhood education, and then I applied for my teaching licenses following after. And after I did that, there, the first time I ever heard about ESL or experienced an ESL program was in university. And at that time, the university was partnering with, um, a, with other language programs, especially with Korean students. And those Korean students were um, there with their families and their husbands were doing research for the university. So they asked me if I would like to um, you know, talk to them one-on-one -on -one and get to know them and maybe offer some English lessons, all volunteer. And I said, well, I've never taught that before. I've never taught English, but sure, why not? And when I went to the library the first time and I saw these two ladies sitting there, big eyed, very shy, and I just thought I have to help them. <laughs> I need to help them. And from that point on, it just word of mouth happened and they told their friends. And then from two students, I ended up getting 11 students. Then I started doing my own private lessons and I realized, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I like this a lot. And we actually became friends and we would have movie nights and we would have events and go to restaurants together. And then at that point, I realized I wanted, I didn't only want to be a childhood education teacher, I also wanted to have another license in ESL and learn more about that. So I went back to get my ESL license. Obviously, new teachers are all going to, going to feel this, um, maybe the uneasiness of this particular situation. So what was your thought as you walked into that library and were like, oh God, what am I going to do today? Oh, I could feel my stomach turning. And I'm a very social person, so I can't even imagine a shy person walking in there. And I, I just thought, oh, I hope I don't mess this up. I hope I do a good job. I hope they like me. It felt a little bit like a first day of school, like a first oh, day of high school. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the awkward, those awkward high school moments when you have space all over your face. Exactly. So mm -hmm. how did you even begin lesson planning? How did you even decide what you needed to, to teach those first few lessons? 
So the language program, they kept trying to reassure me and they said, um, listen, don't become stressed. It's just all volunteering. We're just, we're just meeting people. We're getting to know them. So the first lesson we met was, it, um, it was in the library. And I remember we just talked about, uh, we did like an icebreaker activity and then we mm -hmm. talked about who you are, introduce yourself. And um, they had like a, a basis of English already. So it's not like they couldn't speak at all. Okay. So they, they were actually able to introduce themselves and say what their interests were, their hobbies and what they were doing in US. I guess it wasn't as bad as it could have been, you know? Right, right. We always hope for the worst. From these classes or from teaching this particular class or these people, you decided that you were prepared, you were very interested in ESL. What were your mm -hmm. steps into preparing for that? You said you got a certificate. Yes, that's yeah. right. So, so that, that really inspired me to get a, you know, a dual license, one for early childhood and one for ESL. Um, so I thought that would also have more options. And if I, like I was going to travel abroad, that was always my dream. And I thought that ESL license would surely come in handy. Um, so after that, uh, I wanted to work locally first. And I did that during that time when I graduated, there, there weren't many job openings. There were a lot of educators and no jobs. So trying to find a job close to home was quite a challenge. So I ended up moving to Atlanta, which was four hours away, give or take from my hometown. And I worked there for two years. And during that time, I also worked with um, ESL students. So this school was an underprivileged school. Okay. As a school and it catered to mostly uh, immigrants and I believe it was at that time 98% Hispanic oh wow okay well yeah so, it is the south right so right so it's so they also did it's like what you said they didn't have really a basis in English at all like they had no background because their mother tongue was Spanish so um, I could speak a little bit of Spanish but I also had a, a Spanish co-teacher so we, it was kindergarten. So I worked there for two years. And we also, during that time, did house visits. So we got to see a lot of the culture as well because we had to go to their houses. And um, some of the neighborhoods, they weren't that you know, uplifting, <laughs> to say. So we, we, we did get to see a lot of where they came from and, and understand you know, why they were here. And they wanted, just wanted a better life for their children. I understand. So did, did you find that the parents could communicate with you and they just wanted their children to learn or nobody could communicate? They could not communicate at all. I believe um, out of the 22 students that I had, two of them, of the parents could communicate English. Oh, wow. But every, every teacher had a translator who came along with her in the ride, on the, for the ride. So we would, we would accompany, we were accompanied by a translator, Spanish, English, Spanish translator as well. Did you find it, did you find it difficult to, to have to, teach and speak through a translator all the time that's quite different from your um exposure to to korean culture right because they could at right. least communicate with you but at least um spanish i have i took two years of spanish so i do have that background um of you know basic spanish conversational skills but okay. in in our schools we we weren't really um we weren't really allowed to speak another language we, we, we wanted the children to really learn in an english environment Sure. And how did you how did you go about doing that with with them knowing so little? Well, we use a lot of songs because okay. it's kindergarten, so it's very creative. So through creating 
and through songs and hand gestures, they were able to pick up the language very quickly because, you know, children's minds are like sponges. They learn a lot different than we do. They learn very quickly and they're not afraid to make mistakes. I'm sure the, uh, the songs that you use really prepared you for your time uh, when you decided to move to Taiwan. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're doing the same songs over again. You know, Itsy Bitsy Spider, Oh McDonald. <laughs> well, now we have Baby Shark. That's a good addition. Jeez, oh, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> so up until, this, up until this point, you've been exposed to two very different cultures. And I remember mm -hmm. during our conversation, you told me that you felt very fulfilled um, by being around different cultures which I thought was, was very, very cool. So how, how did you take what you learned from these two vastly different cultures and kind of incorporate it into your decisions that you made after? Well, let me tell you a little bit about why I was exposed to so many cultures growing up. And that's because uh, my parents are also immigrants. So um, I was born in Montreal in Canada and I actually grew up in Georgia and my mother's family is Italian and my grandparents also couldn't speak English. And my father was born and raised in Greece. So he also learned English as a second language. So growing up, I, I was exposed to various cultures and um, you know, experienced things like food, holidays, traditions. And I think that really attributed to and my, my success in the ESL industry because it gave me a more open mind and a more accepting nature. So um, with that, I think that was a really good background and that made me open to new experiences and new ideas. And that really helped a lot in my classroom because I could kind of understand what students are feeling and what they're going through, like hearing a language for the first time um, and, you know, doing things they've never done before, just being in that kind of environment. I think that kind of empathy and that kind of understanding really played a crucial role in, um, in teaching. So if you hadn't have had these, te these experiences in, in ESL um, and also with, you know, the, the experiences you've had with your family as well, how do you think your teaching style would be different? A lot of people don't have these experiences. I know I've known several people that hadn't even been outside of the outside of America until they came here or to another country to teach. That's a really good question, Tim. Um, I think it would, <laughs> I think it would have been different because it wouldn't have made me so open-minded to try new things like you. I'm not going to say anyone's name, obviously, but like you, I have a lot of friends who did, who came to Taiwan and they got really sick or they just couldn't deal with the food because if you come to Taiwan and you have things like animal parts or things that you don't usually eat at home that we, that we discard and they eat that here. Um, if you're a picky eater, you're not going to last, you know, you have to be able, you have to be willing to try things. Yep. And my parents are growing up. They always not forced us, but they always encouraged us uh, to different foods where my friends would come to my house. They would be like, ew, I'm not eating that. And I thought like, we have to eat it here. It's our rule. You know? So I was, I wasn't just exposed to like only like hamburgers and hot dogs growing up. You know, we had a lot of Greek food. We had a lot of Italian food. We had French food. So I think the, the culinary aspect of it uh, really helped with, with doing that. And also traveling, like you said, some people, they just never get out of their, their own backyard. They just don't. And um, my, my parents, which I'm really grateful for as an adult, 
at, um, they, we traveled quite a bit when I was growing up, even if it was within the country, like around the US. Um, we used to go to Florida every summer. So I was able to explore and see different cultures and see different ways of life. And I wasn't narrow-minded. I wasn't ignorant when I came. And sure, I made a lot of mistakes, like anyone else coming here. There are a lot of challenges when you live here in another country. So I think just um, being open-minded and accepting um, is what I is what I got from my background. What does somebody do to find a job? What did you do? Well, like like many people do, I use our beautiful way of life now, which is the internet. Ding <laughs> ding ding. Right. So there's a lot of channels. You know, you have T Lit, Dave's ESL. Now you have Facebook. There are a lot of different channels, and I would tell anyone use those resources. Those resources are at your disposal. Those are important things to to use. So I use I use I just browse online and look for jobs. Of course. Um, I just wanted to go. I didn't have any clear direction of where I wanted. The world was my oyster. I just wanted to get out and explore and just um, just get a whole new experience out of it and just have fun, right? One sure. of the reasons to do is just to have fun. So I was looking at different places and, you know, I had already been working in a school with a Spanish, um, Spanish language, which I heard very often. I started to become more fluent in Spanish. And, but when, you, when I'm looking online, I saw that, these Spanish countries, they're not paying very much. There's yeah. a lot of volunteer. There's a lot of volunteer. There's Peace Corps, you know. Um, this is just not really a great place if financially. Financially, it could be rewarded in other ways. But financially, it's not a great, they're not great countries for teachers compared to Asia where you can make more money. So, and I had spent a month in Costa Rica also before that, just because that was one of my thoughts was, hey, if I like it, maybe I'll just stay in Costa Rica. And, uh, but when I went everywhere, I didn't, I didn't see that they had much consideration for education. You know, people had other problems there. They're not, they're not thinking about speaking English and they're thinking about living. There's a lot of poverty. So um, I was like, what about Korea? Because I really like the students from Korea. They're very hospitable. They're really nice. Um, I don't know how to speak Korean. I can count. That's about it. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm going to try Korea. So I was looking online, and I noticed Korea. And um, I spoke to a few agents there. But for some reason, and it might be different now, it was a little bit more difficult to get into Korea. Like they had... Um, more restrictions, I guess, okay. and they wanted more more documents. And I was just getting annoyed because everything I sent them, they were like, no, send it back. You have to do it this way. And you have to use these margins. And you have to, your passport photo has to be this size. And I was just like, well, for, you know, that. So. <laughs> it's okay. We can, we, we, we can get that language on the podcast. No problem. All right. All right. Good to know. So. So then I was like, well, let me, let me see what else is there. And I got this really great offer from Indonesia. And it almost seemed too good to be true. And if something is always, it seems too good to be true. It's because it is too good to be true. Well, let's explore that for a minute. What, what made it too good to be true in your eyes? You hadn't had any experience beforehand, so how would you know? Well, the first thing was that um, it wasn't a red flag. It just sounded like really like a, a good deal, you know? And they offered an apartment and the apartment pictures were really, really nice, like almost like a villa, and um, which could happen, absolutely could happen. Um, so they offered that, they offered a high salary, they offered me a personal driver 
to drive me to work every day with a car, which you could, you know, it could be a bicycle when you get there. You never know. And that's one thing you have to know about when you're traveling. You never know what to expect. People can yep. tell you all these things. You can see all these pictures, but it's, it's also possible that you'll be disappointed when you arrive at your destination. Absolutely. So um, they had all these things. And I was like, yeah, 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 let me sign it. So I talked to the principal. I talked to the agents. I talked to another staff member. They wouldn't let me speak to any teachers. I did ask them. And of course, for you out there listening, you can always do this. If you're not sure, you can always offer to speak to um, teachers who have been teaching there for a while, especially native, your native language teachers. Did they give you a reason why you couldn't speak to them? They didn't give me a reason. They just said, oh, they just said, oh, no, sorry. They're not available to speak to you. So I was like, okay, well, everything looked good. And so I was young and naive, and I actually signed the contract. I sent it in. I also, then I actually, then at that time, I sold all my furniture, and I sold my car, and I was leaving in three weeks. So as I was getting to go, as I was getting ready to go, during this time, I was like, okay, is my paperwork ready? Is my, you know, my work permit, is everything done? And they kept saying, oh, we, we filed it. It'll be ready next week. And this does happen. This does happen. We'll be ready next week. Oh, we've already, we've already contacted that, the government officials. It'll be, it'll be ready tomorrow. Don't worry. It's, it's coming. And I trusted that because it's the first time, right? I sure. had no experience. And I trusted that. And eventually, there was no sign of any paperwork. Two weeks left before I was supposed to leave for Indonesia. They told me, your paperwork's not going to be ready in time. You have to come here illegally. And they actually used the word illegally. They didn't say, they didn't use any other word. They said illegally. And I said, whoa. Like, I, I've never lived in abroad before. I'm sure I've traveled. I've visited, but I've never lived anywhere else. And I'm not comfortable doing something illegal, which I don't even know your laws in your country. You know, sure. some, some countries have, you know, you're punishable in much, much harsher ways than my own country. So I said, okay, I'm not comfortable doing that. I'm not doing it. And then they, they got someone else to call me to try to persuade me again. And they tried, kept trying to persuade me. They, were, they even tried to hold my contract against me. And I said, well, in the contract says you're going to provide this, this, this. And you guys didn't provide me with my correct documents to enter your country. So um, what did they say to that when you called them out on it? They told me that uh, they told me that many people do that. And then I could just go there illegally. And then um, I could stay there for a certain amount of time. And I had to go on a visa run and then come back into the country again. And then when I asked them that, if I come back into the country, are you sure my documents are going to be there? They said they're also not sure because they blame that they blame that their government is slow when it comes to um, applying for paperwork. Hmm. Which that's one thing I love about Taiwan, Tim, because Taiwan is pretty quick when it comes to getting your documents and getting everything in order, like getting passport photos, getting, you know, get applying for your ARC card, your resident card. They're really fast with that with those yep. kind of things. That is true. Yeah. And so I, so I, I said, I said, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable. I'm not, I'm not going to go through with this. And they're really upset and they tried to use my contract against me, but in the end of the day, they couldn't do anything about it. So here I am 20, I want to say 24, I think I was 24 and all my furniture is gone. All, my car is gone. So I'm back. I went back to my parents' house and uh, my brother told me, 
are you, you need to start looking for a job, like another job around here. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not giving up on my dream. I need to, I want to go overseas. I want to teach in another country. And my brother said, get it out of your head, lady. It's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so during that time, it's only one weekend. It was the same weekend. Everything happened very, very quickly. So during that weekend, I was looking for, I was browsing again. I went back to Dave's ESL, TLIT, and other websites, and I was browsing mm -hmm. again. And then everything kept coming up. It was like Taiwan, Taiwan, teacher wanted in Taiwan, educator in Taiwan, teach English in Taiwan. Everything was in Taiwan. I was like, I was like, where the hell is Taiwan? Where is that? <laughs> right? So I go online. I'm like, is that Thailand? Like many people do that, right? Not yep. Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. People ask me like, how, how's Thailand? I'm like, I don't know. I don't live in Thailand. I live in Taiwan. <laughs> yep. So, so I'm like, how where is it? So I'm researching it. I was like, oh my gosh, it looks really good. There's a lot of job opportunities in Taiwan. There are a lot of job opportunities. There are a lot of new schools being formed. There's a lot of employment. The economy looks decent. So let, let me check that out. So I saw some, some, um, postings. And um, there's no red flags. Everything seemed to be good. And I was reading, started reading blogs, which blogs are also really good because you can yep. see um, the people who are already living there. You can see their experiences. And of course, you also have to take all the experiences with a grain of salt because everyone's experience is going to be different. So um, then I did that. And then I, was, I started, I applied to a private school. And when I applied to a private school, Everything happened very quickly because they were in need of a teacher at that at that like that week, you know. So I was like, okay, well let me let me go let me let me check it out. So I did that and I said everything was fast. Like the paperwork came in the next day. They gave they told me what I had to do. Everything was outlined for me and I could just follow. I didn't have there's no guessing. Um, so as I did that, I was like, okay, like I, I got to tell my parents now. And I'm still 24. I mean, I've been away from home for a while, but I still need my dad's blessing, not permission, but I'm still need his blessing because I don't want him to worry at night, wondering if his daughter's in a safe country and I'm the only girl. Was there a point in time where you just thought to yourself, wow, this is awesome. All right, I'm going. Or was it just kind of more of a culmination or a buildup of things? You mean before I left? For Taiwan, yes, like your mm -hmm. ultimate decision to come here. I think I had just so much failure, you know, trying to go overseas. And now that I look back on it, I would do so many things differently. Like th there was no need for all that chaos because everything is pretty simple. Like teaching abroad is not is, is become a pretty typical thing to do. Sure. Um, not for everyone, obviously, but I mean it's not a difficult task. You know, we have airplanes now. So, <laughs> yes, we do. So, <laughs> the, like helicopter around the valley. So anyway, so um, so yeah. So I just think that um, you know, I, I should have done some things differently, and that. But I'm I'm just glad that I made it. So when I when I came before I came, I was like, yes, this is happening. That was it was a feeling of relief and also a feeling of excitement at the same time. I wasn't nervous at all. I remember when, when I got on the airplane, I was like, I'm not nervous. I feel great. I'm so I'm on cloud nine right now. I'm, I'm in the air. Yeah, I remember I remember feeling something very similar as well. Like, I feel like I should have been 10 times more scared than I actually was to move mm -hmm. halfway across the world. But I felt yeah, there was something there was something inside of me that told me that, like, you know, this is a this is a good decision. Like it's gonna it's gonna work out. What are some reasons somebody might not want 
to come here to teach? The biggest challenge for me as, a, as an educator in, in school would be communication. Huge issue. And the problem solving in every country that you go to is quite different. And being from such a direct, which like a direct culture, which we are, which I would think Americans are pretty direct, right? Yeah. Um, and then come here to this like passive, almost passive aggressive mm. <laughs> culture. Um, in that way, I think that that's a problem. Besides the language barrier, which is already a struggle, then you have to deal with the different way of thinking. So you have yeah. different, totally different way of thinking where it's more like modest, indirect. Um, people don't always say what they mean. And you're just like, just tell me what the hell you want. What do you want me to do? You know? <laughs> and so you have to deal with that a lot in schools. And also the information sometimes when you, not sometimes, all the time, if you're working for a Taiwanese company, a Taiwanese school, they always slack on giving you information. It's like they don't want to give you too much information or something. You have to yeah. ask questions. And people are supposed to be just satisfied with the information that they give you. They don't have that curiosity of getting more information and learning more things. They're just satisfied with that. And that that is still to this day, even today, seven years later, that is a pain in my ass. Yeah. And that is still one of the biggest problems I have in this country. I don't think that will ever go away. What do you think the root cause of it is? Okay, there are a few problems. And I've thought a lot about this. This is a really good question. I'm glad you asked me. Um, the first problem is, well, the overall problem is the education. It's not a collaborating education where there's problem solving and working together and creating things as a group. It's a lot of competition. A lot of this, this is, I'm first, a lot of ranking, I'm first, you're second, you're last, you have to get out of this classroom, you know? Um, so that that's like the biggest problem. So people don't know how to work in a group. People don't know how to problem solve. There's not a lot of, even in school, even when we teach in school, there's not a lot of group work. They don't like group work. They don't, they don't um, encourage group work. So there's not a lot of that going on. It's not, it's not, they don't focus on working positively as a team, which we, we, you know, Americans, it's even the job force and the workforce, we do prefer more positive reinforcement and collaboration and teamwork. And there's even teamwork drills and team activities and things, which is not, you don't see that here. Yeah. That's the one thing. And the other thing is, and I don't know if you know this, Tim, but um, the generation a little bit before, you know, a little bit, not our generation, but like, let's say 40 to 50 year olds nowadays, I guess, that generation when they were younger and they got a wrong answer on a test, they got a hit on the hand. And furthermore, many schools in Taiwan if for every point you got wrong, you got a hit on the hand. That means if you made 97, you got three, three hits. If you made 98, you got two hits. You're being punished for every mistake. Yeah. And that creates a society that's terrified of making a mistake because that punishment that, that goes along with it. But that creates like a bunch of perfectionists and, that, and that's how it is. So what, and the schools, in the schools, you're given a book and you have to do this amount of pages. It's almost like, it's almost like if you do more pages, you'll be smarter. It doesn't matter if you grasp the concept or not, but if you do these pages, you'll be smarter. So with that, you're not teaching the core learning goals. Like you're not teaching about, which is number one goal from a curiosity. You're not teaching inquiry. So when you're doing that, of course, 
when, as you as you grow up, you're not learning to be a curious individual. You're learning to endure. You're learning to accept, and that's the difference between Taiwanese education and a lot of Western education. I think that follows them into adulthood, which when they go to work, they're learning to just um, abide by the rules and follow authority. This is what my boss says. I need to do this. There's no questions why. It was really important to kind of hit on those few things because people, those are things that I didn't know before I moved over here. And then it was a very big shock to me when I, when I got over here. So mm-hmm. um, can, can I, can I say one more thing? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Um, if I say no, are you going to shut up? <laughs> I will. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Hey, it's your show. I'm just on it, you know. Nah, I'm not <laughs> uh, I know that communication is a difficult thing, and it'll be difficult if it's any communication that's different than your own your own communication that you experience that you grew up with is could be a challenge. Hmm. But I don't want to say that it's all bad because if we're talking about it, it sounds like you know, oh, it's, it's hard to communicate. I don't want to go there, and I want people to understand that there are a lot of good things working in the schools here and one of the things that impressed me a lot was family involvement so when i even when i did my student teaching or i was a substitute teacher for a few years before subbing before full-time work and i was always just confused about why why aren't there any parents at these open houses at these parent meetings doesn't anyone care but when you go to the, the football game on Friday night, all the parents are out there cheering for their kids, you know, because he brings that into the classroom, right? Yep. It's almost like the focus is not on the right areas and it's not encouraging to children. So I really like that um, Taiwanese are, they are very um, educationally it's like like focused on education and they do have really strong family involvement and family ties and that also is easier for teachers because we can you know we know that most of the time we're going to be backed up at home like they're going to bring their homework they're going to do things because the parents are going to make sure of it this is something we spent a lot of time on in our initial conversation and Mm -hmm. it was really good to hear kind of how your goals changed from what you what you wanted to do at the beginning before actually moving to where you are now after being over here in Taiwan for about seven years now. Mm -hmm. So for personal goals, and this is something I'm still trying to work on. um, I'm trying to work on being more mindful and accepting Mm -hmm. of people who are different than me, like different cultures. And I think you have to be, no matter which country you you decide to reside in, you have to be open-minded. And if I've learned anything about that, uh, when I came here, I thought I'm going to, like most people, like, oh, I'm going to make a huge difference and I'm going to change everyone's mind. But when I got here, I was actually changed me. I was, I changed my teaching style to fit Taiwan. Of course, I still added a little bit of my flair and a little bit of my style. And I tried to, um, you know, try to show everyone the best way, the best methods for teaching English. But a lot of times you have to just suck it up and you have to um, accept the culture. And I know that's a very negative thing to say, but I just spend so much time trying to change, 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 change. And then I would just get angry with myself. So if I've learned anything, 
I've learned that you cannot change people who don't want to change. You can only change people who, who want, who need help, who want to look at a different type of education. And you can only change your thinking. So if you change your thinking about people, it's much easier than changing the people because you can control your own mind, but you can't do anything for anyone else's actions. And um, I guess now, because you know I have been here for seven years, I'm still I'm still um, doing more. Uh, I want to use like exposing more families to English resources because I also on the side I also do um, educational game designs. And a lot of those are for for teaching um, ESL, and like learning hands-on, hands-on learning, and having fun while learning and creating English environments. So I want to do more workshops, which I the last two years I've been doing a lot of workshops and teacher trainings. And um, yeah, I just want to keep doing more of that and just letting people who want to see a different type of education, more of a constructivist education. Yep. I want to I want to um, show them a little bit a different way to education than just test based because Taiwan's a very test based country. To kind of end uh, end and wrap up this uh, this little this episode, what advice do you have for people who are thinking about teaching ESL? Well, one of the mistakes that I see. Um, with a lot of friends, a lot of expats, and this applies to any country, not just Taiwan, mm -hmm. is they don't have the paperwork in order. Kind of the first mistake that I almost made, but I, I was lucky I could correct it. And by that, I mean, if you know you have to have a visiting visa to apply to, to enter a country, get your visiting visa. If you need, if your school requires your, um, your original, original, original copy of your degree, Make sure it's not in your mom's basement when you arrive, you know, like get your things ready. Yeah. Like, it, like you know, if your things are in the attic, it's not going to do any good. I've, I've seen people who've had a lot of paperwork delayed because they just didn't have those things that, you know, at their fingertips and everything should be in a file and you just need to come. You just need to come with all those things. Don't yep. leave things back home that you might need. Um, right now, Taiwan particularly, um, they are enforcing they're enforcing like criminal records. So if you have a criminal record, just know that you have to have a background check to uh, a clear background check to teach legally in Taiwan now. It's actually more, it's, it's very, very extensive when compared to what I had to do when I first got here. Mine was yeah. just simply a, a, a local, uh, a local background check. So it was very easy. Yeah. I basically got it within an hour, right? Um, but, yeah. now, but now I'm not sure if you, if they changed this b before you arrived, but now you have to actually get an FBI background check. So, um, yeah. And I have a friend who, who came here and that person has a DUI. So they could, they thought they could just come here and then the DUI wouldn't, wouldn't matter, but it did matter. And they actually couldn't get the visa. They couldn't get the residency because of that DUI being on yep. their record. So they had to every 90 days or whatever, they had to fly to Hong Kong. It became super expensive. So they just ended up going back to their home country. So yeah, now it's enforced a lot more. 
Well, this person was working illegally, obviously. So this happens as well, getting paid under the table. But maybe we should clarify to actually um, have an ARC and be able to stay here. You need yeah, right? legally, legally, yeah. right? Yeah, lots Illegal of people. Residents. Exactly. Yeah, lots of people come here and, and teach for pay under the table. So. Awesome. And the the last thing I would just say is just be open and enjoy the moments, even even the hardships, because the hardship bring lessons. And um, just be open to living in Taiwan, be accepting like the food. I get it. It's not a hamburger. I get it. It's not gonna be a good hamburger as you have back home. The pizza's not like New York. Yay! What a surprise. <laughs> but just just you know go with it. Um, I know a lot of people who just couldn't take the food and they just left because they, they just couldn't, they just were really picky eaters. Hmm. I'm thinking of one friend in particular and I know people who got sick, but just, just don't be scared to try new things. You're only, you know, you're only going to, you only have one life and you just, just be adventurous and just try new things and just be open. Cool. I would say that's quite solid advice. All right. Well, if there isn't any other advice that you have for our listeners today, I think we'll uh, go ahead and finish this up. Anything else that you'd like to, any words of wisdom you want to pass on to us? I don't have any words of wisdom, but I would be interested in hearing what kind of questions your listeners would have. Is that okay if I ask that? I wonder what kind of questions your listeners would have. Um, for someone who's never been abroad before, someone who's never lived abroad before. Yeah, this is something I hope, hopefully we can do maybe a, an episode on in the future. I'm not sure how this would go since we're kind of just starting off, but yeah, yeah, the questions are always welcome so that we can make sure to hit on them. Absolutely. Great. Cool. That was a nice chat. I had a lot of fun, Tim. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. I know you're at work right now. Actually, we're both working. Shh. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks again. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll get together soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Enjoyed this episode of the Teaching While Learning podcast? Head on over to your favorite podcast service to subscribe, leave a review, or offer up some constructive feedback on what you just heard. We also have a growing community on LinkedIn. So if you'd like to connect with other like-minded ESL professionals, search for Teaching While Learning and join us. I appreciate you clicking on this episode and I hope to have you back.